Well, this morning we'll be in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 through 33. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you have your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 12, 25 through 33. Now, this concerns Jeroboam's golden calves. 1 Kings chapter 12, 25 through 33. I'll be reading from the ESV this morning. Give your attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, and life-giving word. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And he went out from there and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And so the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up to the land out of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. Then this thing became a sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. He also made temples on the high places and appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. And Jeroboam appointed a feast on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices on the altar. So he did in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves that he made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places that he had made. He went up to the altar that he had made in Bethel on the fifteenth day of the eighth month, in the month that he had devised from his own heart. And he instituted a feast for the people of Israel and went up to the altar to make offerings. Thus far the reading of God's word. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Amen. Well, in 2009, Steve Green, the president of Hobby Lobby, began uh, a series of acquisitions for what would eventually become the Museum of the Bible. Uh, The Museum of the Bible's stated purpose is to invite, invite all people to engage in the transformative power of the Bible. And one of the ways they accomplish this purpose is by displaying significant biblical artifacts and other things like that. Uh, My wife and I actually got to explore this when we lived up in D.C. back in 2017 and 18. And they had some interesting items, a a Wycliffe Bible, they had a a Gutenberg Bible, and a replica of a Gutenberg Press. It was pretty cool. Uh, But among their most important and prized artifacts... Uh, were 16 Dead Sea Scroll fragments, ancient fragments, parts of biblical manuscripts. Uh, But earlier this year, in 2020, it was actually discovered that all 16 fragments were fake, complete and total fakes. Not a single one of them was real. Uh, They looked like ancient biblical fragments. Uh, They even had what appeared to be uh, the biblical text on it. Uh, but what they turned out to be was actually just ancient sandal leather that somebody found, uh, soaked in glue, and then rid on uh, with the biblical text uh, by some nefarious counterfeiter. Well, Steve Green invested millions in building the Museum of the Bible, uh, and he spent millions more furnishing it with what turned out to be worthless and, and fake imitations. Uh, Steve Green was a victim. Uh, He didn't know uh, that these manuscripts, these fragments were fake, uh, but he got cheated out of a lot of money. Here's the point. Uh, 
the people who sold him the manuscripts, the fragments, also didn't know uh, that they were fake. They just passed them along. Uh, they thought they were real. Well, today, as we look at our text, uh, we're going to discover that Jeroboam's actually in a similar situation. Our, our text today teaches us that Jeroboam, motivated by insecurity, is going to propagate fake religion uh, that he's made with his own hands. Uh, before we get to our text, we need to lay some context and orient ourselves a little bit uh, in the narrative uh, of First Kings. Uh, remember, Solomon's love for his pagan wives uh, has uh, resulted in his worshiping their pagan gods. Uh, he's turned away from the Lord, and so the Lord uh, has threatened Solomon. He said, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. That's 1 Kings 11, verse 11. Now, for the sake of David, God's not going to take away the kingdom uh, immediately, and he's not going to take it out in its entirety, uh, but he's going to take it from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Uh, God is going to raise up adversaries against Solomon, and he's going to give one of those adversaries uh, Solomon's kingdom, uh, ten tribes. The adversary who will receive the kingdom is the main uh, character of our text today, uh, Jeroboam. He is a servant of Solomon, uh, and the Lord promises to give Jeroboam ten of the tribes after Solomon dies. Uh, he says by the prophet Ahijah, Behold, I am about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. And I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him ruler of all the days of his life. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand, and I will give it to you. And I will take you, and you shall reign over all that your soul desires, and you shall be king over Israel. I will give Israel to you. This is God's promise to Jeroboam by the prophet Ahijah. But Jeroboam doesn't want to wait on God to fulfill that promise. He's a little impatient. So he takes the matter into his own hand. Uh, he raises his hand against Solomon as if to steal the kingdom from him uh, by his own strength. Now, Solomon's reasonably not very enthusiastic about losing his kingdom and especially not to having it stolen from him by his servant. Uh, and so we read in verse uh, 40 of chapter 11, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. Now, upon Solomon's death, Jeroboam returns to Egypt, and he offers to serve Rehoboam. Uh, he, he, he only asks one thing. He asks Rehoboam one thing, and he'll serve him if he does this. Uh, just to, to lighten the load a little bit, lighten the tax burden, lighten the, the, the forced labor burden that we had under Solomon, uh, his father. Uh, well, you may recall Rehoboam's uh, response. He quite foolishly abandons the, the wise counsel of the older men, uh, and he rejects Jeroboam's offer. Uh, instead, he takes counsel from who? The, the, the young men. Uh, he, he threatens Jeroboam and the people. This is what he says. My father made your yoke heavy, and I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And so we see that because of Solomon's uh, adulterous idolatry and because of Jeroboam's faithless impatience and because of Rehoboam's foolish severity, uh, the kingdom becomes divided. Uh, Solomon is dead. Uh, his son, Rehoboam, rules the southern kingdom from Judah. Uh, his once loyal servant, Jeroboam, rules the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, and that brings us to our text today. And in the first half from verses 25 through 27 today, we see what motivates uh, Jeroboam's fake religion. 
What motivates Jeroboam's fake religion? In a word, insecurity. Now, Jeroboam needs to secure his kingdom. And Solomon has threatened to kill him. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, has threatened to do worse. Uh, and so Jeroboam sets out to secure his kingdom. And he does this first by building two cities. Uh, he builds the city of Shechem near the southern border. And he also rebuilds Penuel east of the Jordan on his eastern border. Uh, but Jeroboam's fortified cities, freshly rebuilt, uh, don't seem to really resolve his fundamental insecurity. Listen to Jeroboam's heart express his insecurity in verse 26. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will turn back to the house of David. This is the thing that makes Jeroboam insecure. It's what makes him anxious. It's not a, a foreign threat uh, so much as a domestic problem. Look at verse 27. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah. This is Jeroboam's political assessment, his worst case scenario. If this, then that. He's afraid that if the people visit Jerusalem, if they go to the temple, if they offer sacrifices there, then their loyalty even their affection, will turn to his opponent, Rehoboam. And if this happens, if his people defect, what else is he concerned about? He might get assassinated in the process. This is the concern of every dictator across the world, isn't it? Uh, And so he says in his heart, they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. That's what he's concerned about. That's his insecurity. And this insecurity is what motivates him to propagate fake religion. Jeroboam is afraid that people will not like him. He's afraid people will abandon him and follow his opponent. And he's afraid he might even lose his life. So his whole well-being, his whole uh, kingdom seems wrapped up on keeping his people uh, from returning to Jerusalem because he's worried they'll turn after uh, his enemy. And so what's Jeroboam going to do to resolve this problem? Well, let's think. What, what might he do to resolve his insecurities? Well, he might start by trusting God's promises. God had already promised Jeroboam that he would reign over all his soul's desire, that he would be king of Israel. Well, he might trust God's power. God had already intervened to prevent a, a, an all-out war between the northern and the southern kingdoms. He might Trust God's sovereign control over the hearts of men. He's worried about their hearts turning after his enemy. God controls the hearts of men. Well, he might seek godly counsel from the word of God. He might pray to God and ask for help or wisdom. Well, these are things that he might have done, things that he should have done. They're things that we can also do uh, when we are feeling insecure. But Jeroboam doesn't do any of these things. What does he do? A look at the first half of verse 28. First half of verse 28 says, So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. Well, Jeroboam does what any human person might reasonably do. He goes and gets counsel. The problem is he gets bad counsel. How do we know it's bad counsel? Well, we know by his actions. Only humans would be so foolish as to suggest making calves of gold. If he would have consulted godly counsel, he would have probably heard something like this 
If he'd asked God or one of God's prophets, if he had consulted uh, the law, he would have heard this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Exodus 20, 5 and 6. So how will Jeroboam resolve his insecurity? How will he secure the loyalty and the affection of his people? Well, he's going to give them fake religion. That will win them. Look again at verse 28. Uh, This time we'll go all the way through verse 29. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. And he said to the people, you have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and he put the other in Dan. Then this thing became a sin for the people went as far as Dan to be before one. Now, if somebody comes up to you, And they say something to the effect of, hey, you know, I've got this great new cult with this great new God, and we're looking for members. We kind of need new members. Would you like to join? I suspect, I hope, that you're not going to say, sure, sign me up. Well, in fact, that's not how cults work at all, is it? They all sincerely believe. If they knock on your door, if a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon knocks on your door, guaranteed they sincerely believe that their religion is true. But their sincerity doesn't make it real. Uh, Steve Green thought that those fragments were real. He thought sincerely that they were genuine. uh, But that didn't make them so. Likewise, Jeroboam and his advisors probably are sincere in what they believe here. Yes, they're passing on fake religion. But they might not even know they're doing so. Idolatry was so prevalent through the entire history of the Old Testament. It's very possible that this is just the inherited religion with a few little tweaks, minor changes. Not big ones, at least according to Jeroboam's assessment. The first adjustment Jeroboam makes is the location of the worship. Look at Jeroboam's words in the second half of verse 28. You've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. He's saying, enough with that. It's too much trouble. It might not even be safe. Well, the temple in Jerusalem is in another country at this point. It's across the border. Let's, let's, let's be honest. Rehoboam's, or Jeroboam's uh, not actually concerned about the safety or the convenience at the end of the day. Uh, remember, his chief concern is not losing his people to his political opponent uh, and so he, he, he frames this in a, in a, in a matter of convenience, uh, but that's not his true concern. Uh, he just wants people to not turn away to his enemy. The second adjustment Jeroboam makes is the style of worship. Just a minor, minor change, right? Not a big deal. He says, Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, Jeroboam, interesting, is not giving the Israelites' new gods here. He's not saying, uh, behold your new gods, these two golden uh, statues. Uh, no, these are the, the, the same uh, words that Aaron spoke uh, concerning the golden calf on Sinai. Uh, 
this is the same God uh, that redeemed purportedly uh, the Israelites from Egypt. That's how Jeroboam is framing this. This isn't a new God. This is the same God that saved you historically. He wants to be liked by the people. And so he gives the people what they want. The people have always wanted idols. That was true in Aaron's day. It's true in Jeroboam's day. It's true in our day, isn't it? We always want idols. Perhaps not visible statues of gold, uh, but we're always looking for something that isn't God. Odell Ralph Davis says, Jeroboam's genius is linking uh, this new cult with bull worship at Sinai. It's not apostasy. That's not what Jeroboam's trying to frame things as. He's not saying we've got a new religion because we've got a new kingdom. He's saying... You know, our fathers worship this way. Uh, it's diversity. It's, it's not novel. It's historical. It's got roots. Uh, in other words, Jeroboam is merely advocating for an alternative tradition, an alternative tradition that worships in a different place and by a slightly different style, but the same God, same God, the same religion. And in fact, this tradition is even more historic than uh, the worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Look at verse 29. And Jeroboam set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. You remember that Bethel is where the Lord promised to give the land to Jacob uh, in a dream. And when Jacob arose, uh, what did he say? He said this, Surely the Lord is in this place. This is none other than the house of God. Referring to Bethel. And Dan had a, a long history of worshiping God by images. This is, uh, remember, uh, Micah. Uh, he made a, a silver image, and he uh, ordained his own sons as priests. And then he even uh, hired a Levite, uh, hoping that the Lord would bless him. It's got a long history of worshiping God by images. Well, if Bethel was where the father of Israel worshipped, uh, and he said it was the house of God, well, surely they could worship there too. And if, if the Israelites worshipped God by idols at Sinai and at Dan, well, surely they'd be continually justified even today uh, to, to continue that practice. Uh, it's got historic roots. They're not doing anything different uh, than what previous Israelites have done in the past. Well, Matthew Poole summarizes, Jeroboam did not intend any alteration uh, in the substance of their religion, uh, nor to draw them away from the worship of God to the worship of Ashtaroth or Milcom or any of those Baals which Solomon set up in Jerusalem. Uh, but he, he intended to uh, set them up to worship that selfsame God whom they worshipped in Jerusalem, even the true God, the God of their fathers. Well, here's the problem. Uh, Jeroboam may not have intended uh, to alter the substance of their religion. Uh, he may not have intended to propagate uh, this fake religion. Uh, but that's exactly what he ends up doing. A little change here, a little bit of an adjustment here uh, to make it more appealing uh, to win the affections of the people. And suddenly, uh, he is promoting a fake apostate religion. And God's not pleased with Jeroboam's minor so-called adjustments to the location or the style of worship. Uh, He is the invisible God. And he will not be represented nor worshipped by any idol made by the hands of men. Not Jeroboam's hands and not anyone else's hands. Well, we might wrongly assume 
that this fake religion was designed to be more comfortable or more convenient. Uh, and that's perhaps how fake religion sold, isn't it? Uh, this will be easier. All the, uh, all the old ways of worshiping are too out of date, too inconvenient. Uh, well, here we read that the people actually went as far as Dan. Now, Dan is in the very far north of the northern kingdom. And, and the idea here uh, is, is that the people traveled farther to see these idols than they would have if they had just gone to Jerusalem. Uh, it wasn't closer. It wasn't more convenient. Uh, it was actually farther and less convenient. Uh, and here's the, the, the crux of it is, is it, it was sin. It was a violation of God's law. Uh, they went out of their way inconvenienced themselves, traveled to the furthest distance of the country to set their eyes on a fake. People travel all over the country to go look at things in museums, and the Bible museums, no uh, exception. Uh, and it's a big disappointment when you find out something like that is fake. You, you thought you were going to, you know, overseas to Europe. You go to see a, a fancy piece of art, and it, it, it turns out it's not even real. Uh, what a disappointment. It has no power. We think about the, the Bible Museum's mission, right, that they would be able to uh, affect people with the power of Scripture as they experience the looking at and the seeing of all this history. And it's all fake. And because it's all fake, it has no value and it has no effect. Well, these are just the first two adjustments Jeroboam made. Jeroboam, motivated by his insecurity and fear, propagates fake religion, first by uh, changing the location and second by changing the style of worship. And in the last section, we learn that Jeroboam's fake religion is made by his own hands. It's made by his own hands. Look at verses 31 through 33. Jeroboam's fake religion is made by his own hands. The author uses the same verb here, which is to make or to do. Uh, he repeats it eight times in two verses. Uh, and the idea here is to emphasize that Jeroboam is just making things up at this point. Isn't that the case with worship so often today? We're just making it up. What, what seems right, what looks uh, like it might be effective. Uh, he's entirely pragmatic at this point. He's just making it up. And he may have started by adjusting the style of worship and the location of worship, uh, but he's not going to stop there. Uh, he is on that slippery slope. Look at verses 31 and 33 just very quickly. We'll survey it first and then look at it in detail. Uh, Jeroboam made temples. And he appointed, that is, he made priests. Uh, verse 32, it says, Jeroboam appointed, that is, he made uh, feasts. So he did in Bethel, he offered sacrifices. And in verse 33, he says, he went up to the altar that he had made. Well, first notice the place of worship is different. Look again at verse 31. He also made temples on high places. Now, now before Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, it seems that God's people were free to worship in the high places, so long as they weren't worshiping idols, and so long as those high places weren't uh, Canaanite in origin, uh, they were permitted to worship in various places. But eventually God promised to choose a place, a singular place, one place where he would dwell and his people would come and worship him. Listen to Deuteronomy 12.11. Then to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and your contributions that your, you present and all your finest vows, offerings that you vow to the Lord. So God has called his people to worship in Jerusalem, in Judah, in the temple which Solomon built. Why? Because that's where he's promised to dwell during this time in redemptive history. But now Jeroboam's making temples all over the place. 
places where God isn't dwelling. But it gets worse. Second, notice the priests are different. Look at the second half of verse 32. And he appointed priests from among all the people who were not of the Levites. Well, what's the big deal? Just different family. Different qualifications, but, you know, they still have priests. Well, the big deal is that God had revealed in Exodus 29.9 that the Levites would be the ordained priests, the sons of Aaron. Jeroboam disregards this detail, and he makes his own priests. In fact, uh, he and the rest of Israel actually completely reject uh, the Levitical priesthood. It's not just like they want to add some priests uh, to the other people who already are priests. Uh, in the parallel account of this text in Second Chronicles 11, uh, we read that the Levites left their common lands and their holdings and came to Judah and Jerusalem. Why? Because Jeroboam and his sons cast them out from serving the, as priests of the Lord. And he appointed his own priests from the high places and for the goat idols and for the calves that he had made. You know, it gets so bad that we learn later uh, that Jeroboam will pretty much ordain anyone. It's sort of like uh, America today. You can go online, file 20 bucks, and get yourself an ordination certificate. Who cares about, you know, studying at seminary? Who cares about, you know, going through licensure and examination, being uh, tested by the church and called by the church? Just PayPal, 20 bucks, and you're a priest. Well, in the case of Jeroboam, it's the same thing. If you've got a young bull, you've got seven rams. You can be a priest too. In fact, Jeroboam, so brazen, at the end of our text, he's not even using priests. He assumes for himself the, the, the priestly work of offering sacrifices. He's on the altar. He's slaughtering the animal. He's doing the work of a priest, something that was never allowed of any of the kings uh, before. It's all of his own making. Well, finally, notice that the time of worship is different. Look at verse 32. Uh, when is Jeroboam's feast? It's the 15th day of the eighth month. Just a month off. Leviticus 23:33 says, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the feast of booths to the Lord. He's just moved it a month later. It's not that big of a deal, right? Well, uh, the author of this text gives his judgment when he says this was a date devised from his own heart. It wasn't the revealed religion of God. It was his own religion, his own fake religion. Well, in all of this, we discover Jeroboam's religion is made with his own hands, devised from his own heart. Uh, it's fake. He has temples, but they aren't the temple where God promised to dwell. He has priests, but he's not, he does not have the priesthood that God provided or anointed. Uh, he has feasts, but they're not when God told them to be. Uh, Jeroboam has changed. He's gone from changing a few details to now changing basically all the elements of worship. And again, this is not uh, so different from our own times. I remember in college going on an urban missions trip, uh, and uh, the, uh, the group was advocating for doing the Lord's Supper, apart from the church, apart from ordained officers, and worse than that, uh, they were using Pepsi and Oreos because that's the food of the people. Uh, this is how ridiculous it can get. Uh, Jeroboam has changed all the elements of worship. Well, God leaves us no doubt as to what he thinks about Jeroboam's fake religion. 
the rest of the book of Kings actually bears witness to God's judgment. First Kings 15, 26. Jeroboam's son Nadab did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in his sin, which he made Israel to sin. First Kings 16, 2. Basha walked in the way of Jeroboam and made my people Israel to sin, provoking me to anger with their sins. Second Kings 3, 3. Nevertheless, Jeroboam clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from it. Second Kings 10.29, But Jehu did not turn aside from the sins of, the Jer- of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. That is, the golden calves that were in Bethel and Dan. Second Kings 13, Jehoahaz did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and followed the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Second Kings 14.24, finally, Jeroboam the second did not depart from all the sins that Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, made Israel to sin. Well, time after time after time after time, Israel was warned by God uh, to turn away from Jeroboam's fake religion. He he promised that if they would only worship according to his commandments, uh, in the right place, in the right way, according to his commands, that he would bless them. But they refused. And 2 Kings 17 records uh, Israel's tragic end. When he had torn Israel from the house of David, they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit great sin. The people of Israel walked in all the sins that Jeroboam did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. And this is why Israel is exiled. You see, Jeroboam's man-made religion uh, wasn't uh, something that just affected him, was it? Uh, Just as God warns uh, in his commandments, uh, the sin of idolatry uh, is punished generation to generation because God is a jealous God. And we see time after time, year after year, 340 years of idolatry Uh, until the reforms come later. God is not pleased with idolatry, so he exiles Israel. I hope that the the warning here is clear, that if you reject God's appointed worship, you you reject God's appointed place of worship, his appointed times of worship, his appointed methods and manners and styles of worship, you're not just rejecting some minor detail, not just some take it or leave it, the second commandment and the fourth commandment are some are not some just take it and leave it. You know, it's just a different tradition. Uh, no, you're rejecting God's covenant. If you reject uh, the things which He has appointed for worship, you're rejecting God's covenant. Worse than that, you're rejecting God Himself. And today, God's people, of course, no longer worship in Jerusalem. Uh, Je- Jesus' body is the true temple. The, the Jews sought to destroy it, but Jesus Christ Himself raised it by His own power after three days. And God's people no longer have Levitical priests. So what does this passage teach us? Well, we have another priest, don't we? And Jesus Christ, once and for all, offered his own body on a tree as a sacrifice for sin, a perfect sacrifice. And he has paid the price for our sin. He has reconciled us to God. Uh, he is the priest that we need. 
And God's people no longer have a feast of booths or a feast of tabernacles. Uh, Jesus Christ himself has come and tabernacled with us. And he is present with his people, even now by his Holy Spirit. And he calls every man, woman, and child from every tribe, nation, and tongue to worship him in spirit and in truth. This question of where we should worship gets raised in the Gospel of John. And this is what Jesus says in response to where we should worship. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, Steve Green's fake Dead Sea Scrolls cost him millions of dollars. But Jeroboam's fake man-made religion cost him and his people everything. We've seen Jeroboam's motive. We've seen uh, his insecurity and his fear, how he did not believe on God's promises, and instead he propagated his own fake religion, devised from his own sinful heart. And this is the exact opposite of what God calls us to do. We must fear God and believe his promises. If you're not trusting in Jesus and in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, your religion is fake. It's not trust Jesus and something else, but Jesus and Jesus alone. If not, your religion is fake. If you're not worshiping God in spirit, that is, loving him with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, your religion is fake. If you're not worshiping God in truth, according to his own self-revelation, not your ideas, not historical traditions made by men, but if you're, you're not worshiping God by his own revealed uh, self-revelation in Scripture, then your religion is fake. And when Jesus Christ returns, he's going to judge the living and the dead. And your fake religion will do you no good. What will he do? He will cast all those hypocrites, all those who hold fake religion, into the, he'll cast them into the, the lake of fire uh, with fake and worthless religion. But here's the, the good news, is that if we do trust Jesus alone, if we will worship him in spirit and truth, if we will uh, look to him, God will receive your worship. If you draw near to God in faith by hearing his word, by reading his word, by receiving the sacraments, by praying to him, by making use, diligent use of the ordinary means of grace, by endeavoring even to keep his commandments, then your religion will be proved to be genuine and real. And you'll be counted among those who receive a reward of mercy and of grace. Your epitaph will not read like the kings of Israel who did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam. No, when Jesus Christ returns, you'll not be embarrassed, you'll not be ashamed because of your fake religion. But he will say to you, this one's name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Enter the city by the gate. Let us pray.